0: morning church we are as david said continuing in our study in one john and today we're in one john chapter 2 and verses 18 to 17 so i'll just read those now one john chapter 2 verses 18 to 17 dear children From the Holy One and all of you know the truth I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth who is the liar it is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ such a man is the Antichrist he denies the father and the son No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. As I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. For this opportunity to gather around your word, Lord, we ask as always that your Holy Spirit would be present amongst us, Lord, to open our understanding, that each one of us, Lord, could draw closer to you through your word this morning. In your precious name, amen. So yes, we're continuing in this study of the letter that John wrote. John wrote this letter to believers. If I can just remind you of a little bit of the background John is writing this as an old man. He's at the end, towards the end of his life, and he's writing this letter to believers. He's writing it to Christians. And he's writing with advice and warnings. There is advice that he wants to pass on to Christians that he believes will be important for them, and he wants to pass this on. And it's important for us to understand the tone with which he's written this letter because this letter is full of advice and it's full of warnings about things we need to be aware of. But it's not written in an authoritarian or a disciplinarian way. It's written in a loving way as to close friends or family. He refers throughout the letter... So the people he's writing to, he refers to them as dear children, or occasionally he refers to them as dear friends. And he uses one of those two expressions, dear children or dear friends, in chapter 2, verse 1, verse 7, verse 12, verse 13, verse... Let me start again. Chapter... Two, verse 1, 7, 12, 13, 18, and 28. Then in chapter 3, in verses 2, 7, 18, 21. And in chapter 4, verses 1, 4, 7, 11, and 21. 15 times in this letter, he says, Dear children, or dear friends, so the tone is one of love and concern. It's of love and concern for your family or for close friends. And so that, as we look at John, and we have the heading of light and love, this is about love. He's writing this in love for people he loves. He's writing it to his family. And so, in a sense, it's a picture for us of what our relationship would should be like with other Christians. We are a family. We shouldn't be, (laughs) those of you, I mean, we all have families, those of you who have kids, I was about to say, we shouldn't get angry with members of our family. Mm, I'm not sure I could uh, completely uh, say that I've done that during um, all of my married life with three kids. But... You know what I'm trying to get at? He's not writing to strangers. He's not writing in an authoritarian way. He's writing to other believers. And he wants to pass on advice about things that he says are out there in the world that you, know, that you should know about. Sometimes we find it difficult, don't we, to take, take advice we, we might interpret it as criticism and it gets our backs up and we don't like it and we've already dug in before the person has a chance, chance to finish what they want to say. On the other side of the coin, sometimes we can be a little bit too urgent in our advice. You know, we can be a bit harsh sometimes. Christians sometimes can be judgmental. There, I've said it. We can sometimes be judgmental. And it's interesting for us to take... Note of the tone in which John was writing to believers. He's writing in a loving way. Dear friends, dear children. It's setting a scene that I love you, I care for you, and there are things I want to just let you know about. And really, what he wants to say in this passage that we've read here can be summed up by the phrase, he wants them to know that there is opposition out there. So he's at the end of his life, he can see the church is starting to grow, churches have been planted, fellowships are growing, but he's also aware that there is opposition out there, that there is opposition that will seek to damage Christian growth, that will seek to hinder the growth of the gospel, that will want to stop the church from growing and flourishing. And so he's writing to believers to warn them about that. And we need to understand that as well that there is opposition out there in the world to Christianity and the growth of Christianity and the development of Christianity. There is opposition out there which will seek to stop churches from flourishing and expanding. And there is opposition out there to each one of us individually as Christians developing and building and strengthening our faith. Any of you who have read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis will be aware of this. It's a book that was written by C.S. Lewis and it was written from the perspective, the perspective of a senior demon writing to a junior demon. And he's writing to him about the man that the junior demon has been assigned to. And so he, he paints this picture of these demons and a hierarchical structure under Satan who are looking at... Christians, and they were looking at ways in which they can trip Christians up, damage their faith, weaken their faith, split them off from a church. And the book's really interesting because he gets into, into little bits of detail about the specific nature or characteristics of the man that the junior demon has been given and has been assigned to. So what well, you may find, that you can get to him through this or through this or when he goes there... And so we need to understand that as Christians, that as John is writing to the church and saying there is opposition out there, we need to be aware as Christians also that as we seek to be effective Christians and work out our faith and achieve what God wants us to achieve achieve in our lives, there is opposition out there that will seek to try and hinder that or trip us up. Now, John says... um, He deals with that right at the beginning of this. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. I decided to spend, rather than an hour on that verse and talk about the Antichrist, I'm going to talk about what he says later on in the verse. He's saying here, this is the last hour. These are the last times. Now, we need to remember the context in which this was written. Jesus had died, Jesus had risen again, the disciples went out, the early church father started to build a church. They had no idea how imminently Christ was going to return. And that's good because the Bible says nobody knows the hour when Christ is going to come back. They were were writing these as if it could have been imminent within weeks or months or what have you. And so there was an urgency about the way in which John writes and the way in which he encourages encourages us to be aware of opposition. And that urgency holds good for us today. You see, that's why nobody knows the time of the day. If you knew that Jesus was coming back in 27 years' time, you know, human nature being what it is, we'd probably take 26 years off and then worry about it in the last six months. But nobody knows when Christ is coming back. All we do know is that he is coming back. And so it's important for us as Christians to live every day as if he's coming back today. And so that's why John is saying, this is the last hour. Because the next thing that happens is that Christ comes back. So that is what he means when he says, this is the last hour. He goes on to say, you've heard about the Antichrist... But he continues to say, but even now, many antichrists have come. So the first reference is to the final days before Jesus comes back when the Bible talks about an antichrist, a figure who is, who, who is completely opposed to Christ and everything related to Christianity. And there are other many people in the church more qualified to talk to you about the antichrist than me. But what John says here is, you've heard about the Antichrist, but many Antichrists have already come. And we need this morning to perhaps unpack a little bit about what he means by that. You see, John says, first of all, there is opposition out there to Christians. But then what he goes on to say, effectively, he says, there is also camouflage and misdirection out there. Camouflage. It's one of those words that, you know, we use it a lot and it's been shortened to camo. But camouflage is an odd word, isn't it, really, when you think about it. Camouflage. Comes from the French camoufla, which they were theatrical agents who used to use makeup to change their appearance. But its original root actually comes from the phrase meaning a puff of smoke. It's something that is used to misdirect something that is used to conceal or misdirect and camouflage as we know it means something that helps you to disguise your appearance and blend into the background reminds me of the story of the young British soldier who enlisted in the British Army and he's two weeks into boot camp and he's getting some lunch one day in the mess and his commanding officer comes up to him and says Watkins I don't remember seeing you this morning at camouflage practice He said, I know, sir, I was really good, wasn't I? (laughs) But there's camouflage and there's misdirection out there. That's what John is saying. Because he goes on to say, when he said, they went out, he said, even now many antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, They would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, these are tricky words to understand at first reading. But what John is saying here, he's talking about antichrists, people who are against Christianity, against Christ. He's saying many antichrists have already come. And he then says some of them went out from us. And we thought they were the same as us, but then by their actions and the fact that they left us, we realized they weren't the same as us. So we've, we, we now, not only do we have to acknowledge and understand that there is opposition to us as Christians and opposition to us living the kind of life God wants us to live, but also that opposition is subtle. And he's capable of camouflage and misdirection and making it look like something else. I had an interesting um, example of that this morning because we stayed in my son's apartment last night. He has an apartment in Torrance. And um, I got up early this morning and... I am clumsy. Anybody who knows me, I am clumsy. I, I mean, it's, it's a cross I've had to bear all my life. But I was, on particularly, I was particularly concerned this morning when I got up that I didn't want to wake my son up. He's asleep on the sofa bed in, in his living room. So I was being extra careful, tiptoeing around, not making a sound. I was like a ninja. And then as I walked back into the bedroom, he's got one of these things that stick off the door to stop the door slamming the wall and I accidentally caught it with my foot and it went twang! I mean honestly such a loud twang the whole apartment reverberated with this boinging noise. And you see that's the thing it made me realize there's a huge difference isn't there between a slight scraping noise you hear at night or a creak which could be anything, and a colossal great twang, which means that's dad getting up and trying to be quiet. And in many ways, it would be much easier as Christians trying to make our way in our spiritual life if every obstacle to us was a great loud twang and was obvious. But it's not. John is saying there is subtlety and there is misdirection and there is camouflage out there. So you've got to be really, really careful. And he seems to be saying, listen, we ourselves have been fooled in our church because there were people who came in and and we thought they were the same as us. But it was only later, and he doesn't specify exactly what they did, but he suggests that it's only later because of things that they did that we parted company and they went out from us, but at some point they were in that fellowship with him. And they were not discernible at you know, at a glance as to wh- whether they were true believers or not. And so John obviously was concerned by the fact that this happened in his fellowship and so he's writing to believers everywhere, dear friends, dear children, and that includes us, and he's saying, be careful, because everything might not be as it seems out there in the world. In other words, the message for us is, we, once we come to Christ, once we've, we've accepted Christ and we're Christians, we then in, embark on a process of sanctification where we, we are required to live as God would have us to live and to be witnesses to other people and to avoid doing things, saying things, getting involved in things that, 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 that don't sit with God, what, what God wants us to do. Satan, on the other hand, is, is, is desperate. First of all, he wants to stop people from becoming Christians. Once they become a Christian, he then has a secondary objective, which is to make them an ineffective Christian to find out any way in which he can knock that person off the path that God wants them to walk on. And so it's a sobering thought for us this morning that we have to be careful. We have to look out for opposition that is there seeking to knock us off our spiritual path. And we need to be aware that sometimes that opposition can disguise itself as something good, can camouflage itself as something attractive, something useful and helpful. We have to be careful. There is camouflage out there. There is misdirection out there. And John is saying, this camouflage and this misdirection, it does not have a good motive. It has an evil intent and an evil motive. He makes that clear, verse, chapter 2 and verse 19. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. He talks about them leading us astray. He talks about them wanting to actually take us away from what we believe. Jesus himself warned of this in Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four: For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible so that's the warning things may not be as they seem and we live in a world where we are possibly more susceptible to external influences than any generation that has ever lived because at no stage in our day unless we make the active decision to shut off every electronic device that we possess. At no point are we safe from a communication coming into us, a text message, an instant message, a a social media post. The marketing technology world out there is so sophisticated that our movements can be tracked. Wherever we go on the internet, we leave a footprint. And those footprints allow companies to use software to target us wherever we go. Whatever sites we visit, whatever interests we have, have you ever noticed how adverts pop up when you're looking at things and they might relate to something you have an interest in or another website that you looked at? Everywhere we go, now, in the electronic world in which we live, we are tracked, and people can follow us and send messages to, messages to us. Some of that's good, but some of it gives space for, for, for wicked intent. So now you can get deep, fake videos. You can, you can receive videos that look like it's the person in the video saying something, but they've been faked, they've been re-engineered. So it's so pervasive now in the world in, in which we live that we are constantly getting bombarded by messages seeking to influence us, whether it's in our political views or our shopping habits or our religious beliefs or our social interests. And so it's even more important that we are so careful to make sure that we don't get taken in by something that looks as if it aligns with what we believe, but in fact it doesn't. It's easy to say, it's not easy to do. How do we, and this is my final point, how do we as Christians, trying to be effective in the world in which we live, how do we avoid being duped or ensnared by this camouflage and this misdirection. John gives us four clues. He says, first of all, stay close to what you were taught. He says that in verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Go back to basics. Go back to that time when you were saved, when you accepted Christ. Don't... Deviate from that. Remember, that's your starting point. How do we do that? Well, we we do that by constant Bible study. We can do that on our own. It's better if we can do it in a group where there are other people in the group also studying the same passages, and we can have fellowship and we can talk and we can share. That's a good way to stay close to what we should believe. We do it through prayer. We do it through fellowship with other Christians. So that's the first clue. In this dangerous world in which we live, where there are so many pervasive elements, stay true to what you believe, to what you first believed, to what you heard when you were saved, to what you're taught by the pastor and by the church. The second thing that John says is, we need to look out for antichrists. We need to look out for antichrists. Now again, he's not saying this in, a, in an authoritarian or disciplinarian manner. He's giving us advice, dear children, dear friends. Look out for antichrists. How do we recognise an antichrist? The clues in the name, antichrist. Anybody who you encounter, no matter how impressive they may, if it's a politician. However wonderful you think they may be, their characteristics may be, whoever it is you encounter, however impressive they may may be, measure the things they say and the things they do against Christ. No matter how much else might impress you, run every single thing they say against the Bible and against the teachings of Christ. If Jesus had been standing next to that person when they said that, what would his reaction have been? And remember all of the things that Christ was about. That's how you recognize Antichrist, John is saying, because they will have a, behavior, a set of behavior that is against Christ. Let me say, I have enormous respect for Jehovah's Witnesses, enormous respect. Their dedication is amazing. Their commitment is amazing. But fundamentally, they don't believe that Christ is the Son of God. So I can't. Be a Jehovah's Witness. I can't accept that teaching. Because fundamentally, Christianity is based on Jesus being the Son of God and being sent down here to die for our sins. If you take that out, you have nothing left. Even if all of the other things around it might look good, there's something missing fundamentally at the heart. Look out for Antichrist. The third thing is this. John says, use your anointing. Use your anointing. He uses that phrase four times in this chapter. Four times he talks about our anointing. What is our anointing? What is he talking about when he said, you have an anointing, use your anointing? What an anointing... In, in the Old Testament was when, when it was when people were anointed with oil. It was a sign of God's presence. It was a sign of God's favor. It was a sign of God's blessing. And every single one of us at that moment when we accepted Christ, we were anointed. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I don't know how many people, how many, 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 of you here, have wished that you had a superpower. Well, you know, when you watch a movie, one of these Marvel comics movies, and they have all of these wonderful things, or you have got Superman flying around in his cape and his red underpants. Have you ever wished you had a superpower? Every one of us who's a Christian has a superpower. We do. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's what John is talking about. He says, you know the truth. You have an anointing. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. you we don't need anybody else to come in with strange, diverse teachings. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who prompts us and guides us. He's our anointing. And you can read more and more about the work of the Holy Spirit and about wisdom in the Bible and how we have available to us as Christians discernment, incredible discernment and judgment available to us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, test the Spirit. How? How? By when we come across something, we can run it against, if you like, the filter. We all know what a filter is. It stops the dirt from coming through. The Holy Spirit should act like that in our lives, that when we hear something, it may sound good, but if it's not right, if it's anti-Christianity, the Holy Spirit should prompt us and warn us and let us know. That is our superpower. We have a level of discernment available to us that That people who are not Christians don't have the problem is it's not forced on us and we have to look after it you know in the same way with a filter you've got to take a filter out and clean it some sometimes we don't have to use the anointing we've been given most of us arrived a church today in a car, I, I suspect. I doubt whether any of us pushed the car here. We got in and drove it here. To push it here would have made made no sense. But as Christians, we do something similar to that. We push our car to work every day without getting in and starting the engine because we have this power available to us through the Holy Spirit to help us in every aspect of our lives. But sometimes we go to work, we don't use it. John says, when he's talking about our anointing, he says, remain in him. The Bible says, don't quench the Holy Spirit the NIV version of that says don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire the Holy Spirit is fire it's power but we can quench it we can put it out How do we do that? By living in a way that is not honouring God. By failing to read our Bible. Stopping coming to church. Stopping praying. Going to places we shouldn't go. Listening to things we shouldn't listen to. Spending time with people we shouldn't spend time with. All of those things will put out the Holy Spirit's fire. And that means it's harder for the Holy Spirit to warn us when we are faced with something that might look attractive but in fact isn't. So, to close, because I've gone on a bit late and I'm sorry. It's a tough world out there that we live in. And as Christians, God wants us to make an impact for good. We have to be careful. We have to acknowledge and be aware. There are things out there that will try and trip us up as Christians and weaken our faith. But the more that we can remain close to God, close to the things we know, the more the Holy Spirit will be able to work in our lives and the more the Holy Spirit will be able to warn us and prompt us and give us wisdom and discernment to know when something out there is actually harmful and not positive for us. That's the message John is giving to us this morning. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that there is opposition out there, Lord, and that that opposition is subtle and devious. Lord, we thank you that each one of us has an anointing. Help us, Lord, to stay close to you in order to protect and preserve that anointing, that we might know, Lord, what is good for us and what is something we need to stay away from. In your precious and worthy name, amen.